You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, Father, we, just as we sang, are so, so grateful for what you have done for us through Christ, that we have nothing to bring to you and you've required nothing of us. So, Lord, as we are reminded this morning through your word of what you've done and how you've set us apart, I just pray that we would be thankful, that we would engage you this morning with grateful hearts, grateful for the reality of the life that we have and certainly for what's to come. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue in our Set Apart series, I want to take you back for a moment to that time when you first started reading your Bible. Anybody first start reading the Bible maybe in the last six months or so? New believers? Yeah, a few of us have just started reading our Bibles. And I remember years ago when I first opened up the pages of my Bible, um, I started in Genesis like most of us do. And I was really excited to dig into what God had for me. And I was reading really, really faithfully. I think I was reading three, four, five chapters a day, you know, being reminded of the stories that I had been told as a child and seeing the story of what God was doing unfold through the pages in front of me. I mean, it's an amazing story when we look at it, right? We see creation and rebellion and fall and battles and famine and plagues and rescue, all of these things that happen. And so page after page, I'm turning. And then that one day came where I turned the page and staring back at me in big letters was the word Leviticus. Now, if you're also like me, I'm guessing that this is about the time that you stopped reading so faithfully, right? Because Leviticus is one of those very difficult books for us to get through. First five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these are commonly referred to as the law or collectively referred to as the law. But Leviticus is that book where we see God's specific commands and rules for his people. In fact, there are more than 600 of them given within this book, many of which have no context or applicability for how we live today. And so it's no wonder that we have such a hard time getting through it. We ask ourselves the question, what does this have to do with me? And that is a question that we should always ask of our Bible. What, what do I do with this, God? What are you trying to communicate to me? What do I, how do I apply this to my everyday life? And, and today, what we're going to be looking at is how we apply God's law. But we're going to start with the purpose for why God gave his law. Because we know that all of God's word is important. When Paul wrote to Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed, that all scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God, the, the people of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to think about what was in Paul's mind when he wrote that. Because we know that that verse applies to all of Scripture. It applies to the entire Bible, to the Old Testament and the New Testament. But when Paul wrote that, the New Testament had not yet been written. It was in the process of being written. And Paul knew that what he was writing was from the Holy Spirit. He knew that it was Scripture. He knew that what Peter was writing was Scripture. He knew that what the gospel writers would write was Scripture. But in Paul's mind, when he talks about God's Word, 
What he has been raised in his understanding of is that the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, these are God's word. So when he says all scripture is God-breathed and useful, he's talking even about Leviticus. And, and, and the interesting thing is that Paul would have memorized large chunks or perhaps the entire book of Leviticus. And so he knows God's law inside and out. And so if anybody has credibility in terms of his ability to explain how we apply God's law to our lives today as we have been set apart, it's Paul. The law is crucially important to understanding what it meant for God's people to be set apart. And believe it or not, it does play an important role in our lives as believers. And it leads us to a greater understanding of what it means for us as Christians to be set apart in our lives today. The Hebrew history is your and my history. It's the history of where God has brought us and where he's taking us. Now, throughout this series, we've been primarily grounded in 1 Timothy chapter 1. So if you want to go ahead and grab your Bible and open it up there, we're going to be primarily looking in chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. What we've talked about is that Paul writes this letter to young Timothy, to the man that he had discipled in the faith, and he writes it as an encouragement, as instructions to this man who had been personally set apart for ministry within the church. Timothy was leading within the church. And one of the questions that has come up in the first century for the church is the question that we're asking today. How does the law apply to me? What do I do with it? Because there were many Jewish people who came to faith and, and the question remained of, well, do I still have to obey these things within the law? And then you had non-Jewish people who came to the faith and some of the Jewish people were saying, no, no, you have to do these things in order to have faith in Christ. And so Paul addresses this question actually several times in many of his letters about what the law means. So we're going to look beginning in verse 8. Paul writes to Timothy, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. Now remember that Paul is a former Pharisee, and we said that he likely memorized large chunks of the law or Leviticus itself. And in Galatians, he describes himself to the Galatian church as formerly a Pharisee of Pharisees, zealous for God, that's enthusiastic for God. And he says that he is faultless in keeping this law. And look at how he starts as he describes himself as faultless in verse 8. We know that the law is good. Now, when I make rules for Parker or rules are given to us, laws are handed down to us, there is something about us that doesn't like that. In fact, just this week in chapel, uh, I think it's like Bully Awareness Month, and so the, the school counselor was talking about what a bully is and how, how we shouldn't be bullies. And as I always do, I asked him when he got home from school, what did you learn about in chapel? And he said, well, we learned about what a bully is. And this is what he said verbatim. By the definition that the school counselor gave for what a bully is, you are a bully. 
And he said it had something to do with how I had been causing him emotional harm by requiring him to clean his room, right? Like, like he took that and he, that's all he got out of that talk that day was that I am a bully because of the rules that I have imposed on him within our household. See, we in general are a people who don't like rules. We view them as oppressive, as keeping us from doing the things that we want to do. It's why we see society moving towards a greater liberalism in terms of what it will allow its people to do. And when I say liberalism, I don't mean left and right, conservative and liberal. What I just mean is we're given a greater freedom for what it is that we're allowed to do. It's the government's way of saying, we, want, we don't want to regulate your life, just go and make good choices. But we know that we don't often make good choices, which is why we have laws and it's why we have rules. They're there to protect us. But God's law to his people was designed to do that, but it had a greater purpose. The Old Testament law was a gift to Israel, establishing a covenant between them and God and setting them apart from the nations around them. See, the law was God's way of saying, you belong to me, now let me show you the best way to live. Let me show you how I designed this life to be lived. Through the boundaries given in Leviticus and throughout these first five books of our Bible, God was seeking to protect his people primarily from three things. From themselves, from the enemies and the nations around them, and from God's own wrath. The laws protected them from themselves by showing them the right way to treat one another and to live safely. In Exodus 20, we see the Ten Commandments given for the first time. And while the first few commandments deal with our vertical relationship with God, right? You'll have no other gods before me. You're not going to make yourself an image and you're, you're not going to worship it. You're going to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? These deal with our vertical relationship with God. The rest of them deal with our horizontal relationships with other people. Honor your mother and your father. Don't kill people. Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't take things that belong to another person. Don't lie about someone else. Don't get jealous over what somebody else has. And it would be difficult for me to find a sin or a crime that doesn't fit into one of those buckets. And in the more than 600 or so laws that came later, God would expound these by giving specifics on how the Israelites were to relate with one another in their cultural context. Now, it is a gross understatement to say that God was ahead of his time here. But the truth is, that if you look at how God wanted his people to treat one another, it was miles above. It was wildly different from how everybody in the world was treating each other. He was protecting them from themselves in ways that were unheard of in their time. And what does it do? It, it reveals the character of God. And what he desires from us. If, if you get nothing else out of a book like Leviticus, if you get nothing else out of the Old Testament, what we get is it shows us who God is, how he thinks, what his character is like, what his personality is like, how he thinks about us. All of these things are wrapped up in these things that we read. And the greatest knowledge we can have is of who God is. And so it tells us who he is. So the laws protect them from themselves by showing a God who wants to protect them. The laws also protected them from their enemies, the nations that are around them. 
Remember that the whole of the Hebrew nation was raised up inside the Egyptian nation. And one of the defining characteristics of the Egyptian nation was that they were well known as a nation that worshipped many gods. In fact, this was the norm for the world around the Israelites. And because God didn't want his nation, his set-apart people, falling into the trap of mysticism and idol worship, he created boundaries that kept them from doing things that distracted them from what he was doing. One example that I, that I give sometimes, if you read Leviticus, there's one verse that commands the people, don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. Anybody guilty of that particular <laughs> sin, right? And, and you ask the question, why, why is God commanding his people not to boil a, a baby goat in its mother's milk? Is it because it's mean, because it's not sympathetic to the mother? No, it's because this practice was one particular practice that was used by the people to invoke the magic of the gods to increase the fertility of their flocks. And God says, I don't want you to think that way, and so I don't want you to do this. Don't behave like the people around you. And if you dig deeper, if you look further, these nations around them were sacrificing their children in the fires to evoke some kind of response from the gods. And God says, don't go there. Don't even start going that direction. I need to protect you from the way the world thinks. It's why the command to not intermarry among other nations was so important. Because God knew that if they intermarried with the other nations, that it wasn't them who was going to draw the other nations to God. It was the other nations who were going to draw them away from God. And we look in our New Testament and we see the command to not be yoked to unbelievers, to not marry an unbeliever. Why? Because God knows that marriage is already so hard. And if we start out with this this crucial difference in the way that we think and the way that we believe, it's much more likely for the believing spouse to be drawn into the unbelieving spouse's way of thinking. So God says, don't go there. Don't do that. So it protected them from other people. Finally, the law was designed to protect them from God's wrath. They were still a people who sinned and they sinned a lot. And God's justice demands that sin be punished. Built within the law was a system of sacrifice that allowed the people to make atonement for sin and show them that disobedience against God has consequences, and that consequence always leads to death. That is the primary consequence of sinning against God. So God was pointing them towards the time when ultimate atonement would be made. But Paul says in that time, in his patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. In his patience, he had left them unpunished. You see, through the law, God made a way for animal sacrifice to temporarily shift the guilt of sin so that his people wouldn't have to bear the full wrath of, his, of their rebellion. It was only a shadow of what was to come, however, as the author of Hebrews would write, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But then he would write, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, right? All of it's pointing towards something. The point is that the law, which accomplished these purposes of protecting God's people, was never meant to make them righteous, it was a gift that showed them how their God had set them apart in a foreshadow of where he was leading them. Leviticus is the story of what Jesus was coming to do. 
It tells us what God was doing in the history of his people. And that's why it's so important for us because it gives us all the information. So Paul says the law is good if it's used properly. The problem is that the Israelites very quickly began to lose sight of why God had given them the law in the first place. Rather than seeing the law as God's way to live, the Israelites began using it to live their own way. In fact, they began using it as an excuse to sin against this God who had set them apart. God had given them a means to atone for sin when it was committed, but they turned sacrifice into an excuse for sin. And so the mentality became, it's okay if I do this because I can just slaughter a goat for it later. That became the mindset of the Israelites. But listen to what God says to them in Isaiah 1.11. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Why is it that God would call their offerings meaningless if he himself had given the laws that required offerings? Because they were using a loophole in the system, thinking that they could live any way they wanted and still be good with God, and God simply wasn't going to accept that. They weren't trying to honor and glorify him. They were honoring and glorifying themselves by ignoring the gift that he had given to them. And in so doing, they stopped looking like the set-apart nation that God had made them to be, and they started looking a lot like the nations around them. And it's here that we begin to see the connection that Paul is making to the law. Because the nation began to look like the other nations. They stopped looking like God's people in the way that they were living. And this is where I want us to consider how the law applies to us today. Because that statement that I just made, and Paul's point is that there is a tendency for us to take a gift of God and distort it in a way that is dishonoring to God. For the Israelites, the gift was the law that established covenant, that set them apart, and that showed them the right way to live. It showed them a holy God who wanted to have relationship with an unholy people. And it pointed them towards a greater gift that was to come, the gift that is now for you and for me. That's why Paul says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what Leviticus reveals. That's what the law reveals. But the gift of God for you and me today on this side of Jesus is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life not in law keeping, not in the sacrifice of bulls and goats. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to do that anymore? But eternal life in Jesus Christ. Back in 1 Timothy 1, 8 and 9, Paul says to Timothy that the law is good if it's used properly and that it is not for the righteous. The law was never meant to make someone righteous. Righteousness is found only in Jesus Christ. Jesus came as the fulfillment of the promise that was made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12 and the law that was given to Moses starting in Exodus 20. Everything was pointing to him. And God was showing that salvation would never come through rule keeping. It was never meant to be that way. Never meant to be that way. 
The rules were there to keep them within the boundaries of what God wanted and to protect them. But one would come later. One would come later who would keep the law perfectly and die in the place of those who couldn't. The perfect sacrifice, the spotless lamb who would take away the sins of the world. Hebrew tells us he is the once and for all, all sufficient sacrifice for all the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, if the law is not for the righteous and we have become the righteousness of God because Jesus took our sin, then the law is not directly for you and me. We have been freed from the law and now live in Christ apart from it. Paul explains it this way in Galatians 3. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Then he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. He says, there is not a Jew or a Greek, there is Christian. You are in Christ. Neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is the gift. Freedom from law keeping and salvation through faith in Christ alone. No longer beholden to a set of rules to atone for the sins we commit. But like I said earlier, we have a tendency to take a gift of God and distort it in a way that is dishonoring to God. It happened for the Israelites, and it happens for you and me today. In fact, this is why Paul is writing to Timothy in the first place, to warn him against false doctrine because uh, Christian Jews had come in and had begun to teach people that they needed to do this in order to be saved, that they needed to become Jewish before they could become Christian, he says, no, that's, that's false. It's a distortion of what the gospel is telling us. But how do we distort the gift today? We do it in two ways. First, by holding on to a works-based righteousness. If you think about the way we sometimes view the Bible or the way the world views the Bible, like if you walk up to a non-Christian on the street who doesn't have a lot of biblical knowledge and you put this book in front of them and you say, what is this book about? You're likely gonna get something along the lines of, well, it's a book of rules. Do this, don't do that, and you're going to go to heaven. That's, that's the mentality that the world has of what the Bible, and, and some of us Christians sometimes have that mentality. That idea that it's a book of rules, we call it an instruction manual for life. And what are we implying? That there's a certain way to live. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But what we're implying is there are certain rules that must be kept in order for us to be right with God. And sometimes we portray that by the way we behave a certain way without introducing people to the real way of salvation. I want you to consider that with me for a moment. How many of us spend our time and effort in trying to get non-Christians to live like Christians without spending any time trying to make them Christians, right? We rant about what's happening in legislative chambers, but we don't spend one moment of our day with a non-Christian telling him about Jesus Christ. 
And we're portraying to the world that you must live a certain way. Well, what good is it if someone lives a certain way, but they go to hell because they've never discovered who Jesus Christ is? It's like bandaging a burned finger in a house that is engulfed in flames. It doesn't do anything. And so we have to stop trying to get the world to look like this without showing them who Christ is. You see the danger. That's why we have to stop portraying that our salvation comes from law keeping. And I think that's why Paul spends time telling us that the law is not for the righteous. Who's it for? For the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, not only because we've all been guilty of the list of sins that Paul gives us, and we've been set free from the law, but because the law itself is already condemning those who have yet to find Jesus Christ. It's not your and my job to condemn others by a law that already stands over them, but to help them discover where to find freedom from that condemnation. The freedom that you and I have found should be a freedom that we want others to discover. I want someone to know Christ before I want them to live a certain way because I know that finding Christ causes us to live differently. On a personal level, we have to stop distorting the gift of salvation through faith by believing that our day-to-day actions lessen or increase the love that God has for us in Christ. That's because like, if I don't read my Bible enough that day, or if I don't pray enough, where I said a cuss word, or I had an impure thought that my salvation is in jeopardy when I lay my head down on my pillow at night. That's its own form of law keeping and works-based righteousness that stands in opposition to the gospel that God has given me through Christ. And if we don't put these things in their proper context, then we will spend our lives chasing after something that we were never able to obtain, that we were never supposed to attain. And so on one end of the spectrum, we have law-keeping as a distortion of the gift of God, either by us trying to attain righteousness through rule-keeping or teaching the world that this is the way. But the other end is just as dangerous. It's distorting the gift by using God's grace as an excuse to live any way that we want. See, that was the primary problem for the Israelites. They took the sacrificial law and they abused it as a means to do whatever they wanted, thinking that they could just kill a bull to atone for their sin. They took the law that was actually designed to show them how to love one another, and they began using it as a means to oppress others and to benefit themselves. This is a problem that has been compounded by the first century. By the time the Pharisees come along and Paul is dealing with these issues, in the same way we often use our freedom from the law and the grace that God has given us as an excuse to live in a way that pleases us instead of considering what pleases God. Paul says in Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. That is a reality that has been purchased for us through the blood of Jesus, but don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Don't use the freedom that you've been given, this, this, this amazing gift to indulge the nature that you were freed from. I was having dinner with a non-Christian friend of mine a couple weeks ago. He's a self-proclaimed atheist, very adamant that, that there is no God, and, and he and I have had a relationship for many, many years. And occasionally, he and I will get on the subject of faith. You've got two people that, that couldn't possibly have further 
different views of the world. And he makes this statement. He says, I'm more Christian than some of the Christians I know. Now, to be clear, there is not a spectrum for Christianity, right? Like, you can't be somewhat Christian any more than you can be somewhat pregnant. You either are or you are not. You either are saved or you are not saved. There is not a spectrum. He's describing a spectrum. But his point was that he knows people who profess Christ, but he sees no evidence in how they live their life or how they treat other people. You see, they're not set apart anymore. Like the Israelite nation, they've begun to look like the world around them when God has called us to be set apart. And I'm also not saying that those people he's talking about aren't necessarily Christian because all of us fail in some way. Every single one of us have been hypocrites to some extent because we have sinned even in the salvation that we have received. That is a reality for us as Christians. And an authentic Christian is simply trying to look more like Jesus today than he did yesterday, and occasionally he fails, right? Like, that's a reality for us, and so I'm not condemning those who, who he's describing. The point, however, is that there are those who profess Christ but are still living every day for themselves. God gave us the amazing gift of grace for those moments that we mess up. And it is a good, good gift. But there are those who are resting on the laurels of God's grace and saying, it's okay if I do this because of God's grace. And Paul says, that is not the way you should be thinking as a set-apart believer. You should not be thinking, I can live any way I want because God's grace will cover that. You've completely missed the point of God's grace. And it's why so many Christians have become indistinguishable from the world. It's why so many Christians look like the world around them because they've been using God's grace as an excuse to live any way that they want. And this is the final point in regards to applying God's law that while we have been freed from the law that he gave the Israelites through Moses, that I don't have to obey those 600 or more rules found in Leviticus because I've been rescued from sin through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we still have been set apart to live a certain way. That I am still supposed to stand out from the world. There is still a way of life that pleases God and a way of life that doesn't. Go back to Paul's words to Timothy when he gives that list in verses 9 and 10. He says, the law is made for people who practice these things. That is, they stand condemned under it because they have not been made righteous. And then he says at the end of verse 10 and 11, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel. This list that he gives is contrary to the way of life that is to be lived in the gospel. What's he saying? That that list he gave, that way of life that is for the unsaved is contrary to the way of life that has been set apart for you and me through belief and faith in Christ. Jesus and Paul and John and Peter and all the other New Testament writers still tell us to do certain things and not to do other things, not as a means to earn grace. If you look at Paul's letters, Paul always begins with the gospel and then he says, now here's how you live. He never begins with, here's how you live in order to be saved. He begins with, you are saved, now go live a certain way. And so the do's and don'ts that we see within our New Testament are not a means to earn grace and salvation. They're in response to the grace and salvation that we have already received. 
It's a way of life that demonstrates the clearest and most important quality of any authentic Christian, and that is love. The whole book is about this. Remember what Jesus said, a new command I give you. A new command. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And every command given to Christians in the New Testament, everything that we are told to do or not to do can be tied back to this. God's law to the Israelites was not arbitrary. And his commands for you and me today are not arbitrary. They have purpose. And John tells us in 1 John 5 that his commands his commands are not burdensome to you. They're not oppressive. He's showing you how to have life and have it to the full. He's leading you into a deeper understanding of who he is, of the promise that he's made to you and the reality that when he calls you to live a certain way, that it is for your good that you live that way. It is for my good that I live the way the gospel calls me to live. And that's the reality that we need to hold on to as we consider what it means to apply God's law in our set-apart lives. Not just the Mosaic law that revealed so much about God's character and gave the Israelites a foretaste of what was coming in Christ. But now that you and I have received the full taste of what's come in Christ, the guidelines and boundaries that God has set for you and me today, which have always been meant to protect you to protect us from the world, and to protect us from God's wrath. How we can have a life today that is driven by the first and second greatest commandments. Love God and love people. All of the Bible is summed up in that. Love God and love people. That's the command for us today. Everything that we read summed up in that command. It's what God has set you apart for. It's what he's calling you to, and it's in this that we see our lives and the lives of those around us changed. Because it's in living in this command of love that we're going to see others respond to the gospel. And that's what God has called us to. To set us apart, to show himself to the world. So the question is, where do you fall on that spectrum? Are you someone that is so tightly trying to hold on to a certain set of rules in order to earn God's favor and pleasure? Or are you using the gift of grace as an excuse to live any way that you want? No, God says, you've been saved. Now you go and live like it. And as you live like it, you're going to discover that my way is the best way. It's in my way that you're going to find fulfillment. It's in my way that you're going to see your life lives of the people around you changed. Stand up and let's pray. Father, we thank you for the law. Paul says that it's good. It's, it's good. It shows us who you are and what you want for your people. It, it shows us how you've set this nation apart. And it leads us to a greater understanding of what it means for us to be set apart. So, Father, as we go home and we read, as we read your word, remind us of that. That we would see you working in everything. It's the great story that has been unfolding from the beginning of time that leads us to a better understanding of the gift that has been given to us in Jesus Christ, the gift of Christ.
grace, the gift of salvation through faith. May we live that way, Lord. May we take this grace and use it to honor and to glorify you above all else and to love the people around us.